Is it going? Okay, there it goes. Um, yeah, so uh, welcome to the show, folks. Uh, today we have a uh, very much anticipated episode, a fucking crazy episode, um, with none other than Nathan from Mark's Madness. Would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself, my friend? Hello, hello, hello. I am Nathan. I am the loud one from Mark's Madness. So if you were, uh, for some reason, expecting the smart one from Mark's Madness, I apologize. You are you are free to turn this off now because you're not you're not getting the smart one. I apologize. You're getting this one. Um, but yeah, I am one half of Mark's Madness pod. We read books, um, and that is <laughs> that is essentially our mo. We we've been reading books for a couple years now, and people seem to enjoy that. Yeah, it's awesome because, I mean, not for nothing, probably one of the most common things we hear, especially as leftists, which I know that term is not our favorite, but like <laughs> I, we have to use it. It, um, it works. It's a yeah, it work works. It gets the job done. Yeah. Um, a lot of folks, you know, com- not not complain, but, you know, have to deal with the hardships of like trying to read theory, whatever those hardships might be. The fact that uh, I mean, not for nothing, some theory really boring. Um, other theory, really good, but very long and very abstract and very uh, confronting in a way that people don't always want to deal with. Um, one that I'm going through, I'm listening to your episodes about Black Reconstruction in America by W.E.B. Du Bois, and uh, I'm also reading Black Power, The Politics of Liberation in America by Kwame Ture. And so, like, as a white guy... I was literally talking to my partner earlier about like how confronting that shit is, even as someone who like, you know, I'm obviously here to uh, support all our all our comrades, regardless of, you know, race, sexuality, whatever. But like as a white person, there's obviously experiences we don't have and like realities that we have to confront ourselves with. And and sometimes that shit is like it catches you off guard and you're like, Whoa, shit. Like, that, you guys' episode on Black Bolshevik? Yeah. That's, that's that's like, a reality that a lot of folks, you know, might not even recognize that they, they have to confront. You know, they might be of the belief that, like, no, no, I, like, I'm not racist, so, like, I don't, I don't get, you know what I mean? So, no, it, oh, I know exactly. Yeah, it, that is a very, I would say during, because uh, the show's arc was... It started as I needed to read Capital um, because I, I needed to understand communism and I didn't know what the fuck to start with. So I was like, let's start with the hardest one. That seems like a reasonable expectation. And then I knew David <laughs> would do that. Um, I knew David had read that and was was a communist, like, and at, which at the time was terrifying to me. I was like, oh, my God, a communist. You, you don't say. <laughs> Here amongst us? Ooh, ooh. Um, but... So we we were doing so we we literally locked ourselves in a the 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 genesis of the show because me and David had been friends for I mean years at that point we'd worked together for years and and we'd known each other and played fantasy football together and just been acquaintances for a very long time um but up to that point we had never really dove into anything like this and then we locked ourselves in a uh library in in the middle of rural Missouri for I think that first meeting we had was like two and a half hours, three hours of literally me just, I would throw a, I'd be like, okay, so here's the deal. I know nothing. 
And so I'm just going to throw questions at you and expect you to answer them. Go. And he did it for, for two and a half, three hours. Of, well, why is the Soviet Union not really evil? Well, why is North Korea not really bad? And he was just able to go for so long that at that point I was like, okay, um, we have to record something. We have to sit down and keep doing this because this is obviously like there's a whole bunch of shit I don't know. Um, and so we started with with Capital, which Capital doesn't really make you confront anything as a white person. Um, capital is very much a, everyone can come to it. It doesn't delve into race. It doesn't delve into anything like that. It's just the, it's almost like the science part of it. You can sort of disassociate yourself from any sort of concept of racial inequality or anything like that and, and tackle that book. Um, and so we tackled that one and one and a half times, the famous story is that we lost, we had recorded all of capital and then got to, we had started state and revolution and I, we used to record, this is how bare bones our setup used to be. We used to record just strictly on my iPad. Um, everything in Capital was recorded exclusively on my iPad with like a USB mic plugged into it. Um, and we lost. I had never backed up anything because it was just on the iPad. I put the iPad on top of my car and drove away with my son in the car to go get a haircut or something like that. Destroyed the iPad, all the episodes oh. gone. So oh my episode, I didn't so, I didn't know that that like that much about the story. I knew that you lost the the audio but <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. It was it was strictly Nathan's an idiot, which is very much on brand for Nathan. Um but but yeah, lost it, lost all the audio and had to re-record uh chapters 15 through like I almost quit the podcast. Like right there, I was almost like Nope, it's not worth it. This is God telling us not to do this. No. And they just locked me in the closet and wouldn't let me out until we finished recording all those episodes again. So, I mean, it was that was that was pretty wild. But we so we got through that, and then we got through State and Revolution. And State and Revolution is another one that again doesn't make you. It makes you confront a lot of things about how you view a state and what the role of that's going to be. But it doesn't really. There was no it's gut punch there. It's confronting in a way of if like you don't already recognize that like recognizing that that can be like it can make you feel insignificant in a way just because like you're like oh shit like this is really what we're facing but if you read State and Revolution it's you know it's a little bit more inspiring than that you know it what I mean she want to get up I think Brett said this one time on Rev Left that that reading Lenin makes him want to jump up on his bed or jump up on the couch and just start you know, like like cheering and yelling at things like Lenin just gives you that inspirational such a good writer kind of yes. quality about him so good and then we went to uh imperialism and imperialism is the first time that I got a big Okay, I see where this is in the because everything up to that point was very analytic and very theoretical theory, for lack of a better word. Um, imperialism was really, really engaging because that was the first time we ran into a work that was referencing things that I understood. Oh, AEG, that's a company like Lenin's critiquing companies that still exist today. Um, as they existed back in his time and, and going through exactly how they've, how they are controlling things, how they have everything written up, you know, just very basic, very matter of fact, like, no, no, this is exactly how they control everything. Um, it's not a game. It's not, it, it's not make believe. It's just very real. These are the rules they wrote and this is how they play the game. Um, and so I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, and then we switched gears 
and hard I'm, switch. I'm very happy we switched because it was, I think, the best decision we ever made. Um, yes. Because it, there are a lot of people out there that are reading. Let's be real. There's a lot of lot of people that go into reading Capital. Um, there's a lot of people that get, State and Rev gets a lot of play. Imperialism gets a lot of play. Um, when we switched to Wretched of the Earth and kind of made a tonal shift with what we wanted to do there, um, that's when I started really feeling like there was something going on because it wretched of the earth and it's it's brilliant because again the the intro is written by a white guy the intro is written by sartre Mm -hmm. um and it explicitly says this book is not for you this is not your book this is not a book written to you this is not a book written about you you're not used to that as a white person i get it um but this is a book written to colonize people for colonized people if you want to read it and understand what what is being said in here that's your choice um but it's not for you and you're going to reckon with it one way or another but you're not going to reckon with it on your terms that's just not how this is going to work anymore i'm sorry um and it that that book fucked me up um wretched of the earth fucked me up hard because that was one of the first time again i came to to leftism during after ferguson so obviously I live in rural Missouri. Um, Ferguson is in my neck of the woods. Um, as that was happening, I, I had friends and and acquaintances and coworkers that were participating in the demonstrations, and I was just a milk toast lib at that point. I mean, straight up and down milk toast lib. And so I'm seeing all of that happen with no way to analyze it. I'm literally watching a city uh, uh, get get burned and 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 riots and and very palpable anger, and I couldn't have dealt. I, I had no way to. I had no way to analyze that. I had no way to process that. Um, and wretched of it, had I read Wretched of the Earth, I would have been able to. Pro- and that was the thing is that Wretched of the Earth was the first time where I was like, oh shit, I can I can understand a point of view that I've never understood before. Like capital kind of does that where it breaks. It does that whole like red pill, blue pill on how does the economy work and how does money work? And that's, that's fine. But there was something in, in America in the 21st century, there was something far more powerful about getting through wretched of the earth and, and starting to understand the plight and, and the mindset of the colonized people, especially within this country. And then that was at the same time we read black Bolshevik. And yeah, I mean, I don't know how you get through black Bolshevik without having a fundamentally different understanding of how America functions and how America works internally, because that book is all about one man kind of living, almost forced gumping his way through every major point of American history. There's just so much there and so much to unpack. Um, And so I think that's really the big thing is that there is just so much about the the plug of the show because so then we went to you know wretched of the earth black bolshevik and now we're going through black reconstruction um and i'm i'm pretty sure and this is exclusive because i don't think we've talked about this anywhere other than on the show i know we haven't i know we haven't talked about this anywhere else i'm almost positive the next work we're going to do is neocolonialism by kwame ture uh, i'm almost positive that that is a that is a exclusive to in defense of liberation uh that Ooh. that has not been spoiled anywhere else but i'm almost positive that we will not even be putting up a poll like we did last time that with dr du bois dying in ghana with kwame ture uh hosting him and and accepting him it just there's so much thematic sense to 
I think the next step is to connect everything we've read so far is neocolonialism. And so, but there's just, it was such a turn from that old kind of, I don't want to read old white guy theory to reading theory written by black and indigenous people. Um, because we're also doing a crossover and, and this one's been spoiled a hundred times, but we're, we've read, I don't know if you've, you've heard of red skins. So black skins, white mask is Dr. Fanon's other great work. Um, yeah. red skins, white masks, is a indigenous version of that book, essentially an indigenous treatise by, um, Oh Jesus. How did I lose his name? Oh my God. I just, he's in my profile picture. How did <laughs> I lose his name? I I'm, uh, Glenn Clothard. Oh my God. Thank you. Dr. Glenn Clothard. Um, who's a, a Canadian indigenous, uh, professor. Um, and ever since we started transitioning into those works, it has been far, everything feels far more impactful and it does, it gut punches you and it makes you really think about where you are. And, and I, I think it's done the best for putting me in my place for lack of a better word, because I think, and I could be wrong, a lot of very well-meaning early leftists have this problem because I had this problem, which is. I come in knowing nothing and you kind of get blown away. And it's like, Oh, I know nothing. Oh, this is all new again. Oh God. I have to relearn everything. And then you read like two books and you think you've got this shit down. <laughs> oh God. So I, yes, yes, that is very true. Um, I, I've kind of had like a, a just like a, you know, uh, I can't even think of the name of the super, the supersonic speedy Chinese like uh, railway system. Um, oh Jesus, the, it's it's I'm it's like a it's a meme thing that I should know and I can't believe I don't. But um, anyways, I kind of got like you know just shot real quick into radicalization because. I was like also kind of a milk toast liberal, and then I was like a quote unquote leftist in the in the sense that I understood that liberalism was clearly not enough, but I had no interaction with anyone. I had no theory, and I, I came from a very privileged background. So like I was as like barely past liberal as it could be up until probably mm, I want to say like last summer and yeah. then um you know similar to you with Ferguson George Floyd uh and the Black Lives Matter movement that took place last year and in some ways is still actively taking place now um it, it you know it really struck me in a way that I was like you know, I grew up in a school where most of my classmates were black. And so, like, I saw how shitty our teachers treated kids. I saw we had SRO officers and a bunch of security officers. I saw um, this kid. I can't even remember what his name is, and I probably shouldn't put it on the podcast. But I saw this kid, this young kid who was I think we were freshmen in high school he was, you know, kind of tussling with some kid in the hallway. We always had fights in school. And this, like, six foot four, like, 250 jacked white SRO officer picked this kid up and just slammed him right into the wall. And, like, that 
even though I was like still all through that super milk toast lib, I kind of is as I learned it and it connected in a way that someone who might not have had those experiences, you know, it might have taken a little bit longer. So I went right from being that person who read because um, I read Our History is the Future by Nick Estes. I mm. read um, uh, Lenin. I read What is to be Done. I read uh, Left Wing Communism and Infantile Disorder. I read, you know, a bunch of Lenin. But like immediately after I finished Lenin, I was like, I could have argued with anyone on Facebook. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I would Don't. have been right then, right there, ready to go. You you have this, and Lenin I think is the one that does it to everybody, and I I I don't blame him because he speaks so definitively. Everything he says, he says so matter of factly and so pointedly that you get this feeling of of again like I know ever I know it all. I have it, I have it. Um, and then I think every really good leftist is gonna go through that point because you're gonna get you're going to know things that are going to seem so obvious. And so, so, oh, well, everyone should know this, that you, you, you do, you're going to get that complex. And then the next step is to get back to no shit. Okay. Hold on. No, no, hold on. I actually don't know everything. Or I, anything. That, anything. That, <laughs> yeah. When, um, maybe when you... maybe humility is the way to go here. Um, maybe there isn't a a a one true answer on a lot of this stuff. But again, even if you think you have a hundred percent the answer, nobody in my experience has ever enjoyed being told that they're an idiot and that they uh, that that this other person across from them knows the answers. I can tell you for a fact it's not how I became a leftist. It's certainly not how I became a Marxist-Leninist, and it's certainly not how I became a quote-unquote tanky. Um, I didn't get there by someone talking down to me. I got there because I had a good friend, a a real a person that I respected and that I, I ostensibly knew was not crazy, quote-unquote, who was just saying these things matter-of-factly and very welcoming to anyone who wanted to talk to them. And, and that was it. There was no, I didn't get dunked. No one gets dunked on. And then two minutes later is like, oh, well, you know what? That guy that dunked on me probably has the point. I should go. No, you get bitter and you dig into your position and you don't go in and analyze it anymore. And that I think is dangerous. And I think it's why, and again, we can get onto this. We can get to this later, but it's again, it's the danger of how we treat each other on social media and how we go about this that I think is, is really, are, is what you're doing productive is what you're doing bringing more people into the fold. Because at the end of the day, this is a numbers game. We need more people to think and and look into these issues and and really critically analyze their, their position in the Imperial Corps and what's going on. And every interaction you have should be predicated with the idea of, hmm, is this going to bring more people to my cause or is this going to alienate people? Hmm. And that's that's hard. That's a hard-ass question to have with yourself <laughs> on a minute-to-minute basis. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be right for the sake of being right. If there is a point to be made, you need to be correct, and you need to step into that. And I'm not saying to appease people, but I'm saying you need to know, is, is this going... Because there are ways... Again, if you alienate some fascists, fine. Alienate some fucking fascists. <laughs> no one cares about fascists. 
but you always have to be thinking about that third party, that person that is not, that is on the fence, that is sitting on the sideline, that is maybe you four or five years ago or 10 years ago or however long ago you came to the cause. Is this going to speak to somebody? Is this going to move somebody to my direction? Or is this going to make people think I'm insane? And there is a valid thing that, I mean, that is a calculus that I have to have every time I'm having interactions with people because I think it's valid towards the, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. I, uh, I don't mean to put David on a pedestal here, but not for nothing. I do it constantly, <laughs> so you might as well. Not for nothing. If everyone had a friend like David, we would all be Marxist-Leninists. Um, I, am, I am incredibly privileged <laughs> to have him in my life, and I recognize that. And it's, uh, yeah, he is, he is a, a phenomenal resource and a phenomenal educator, and I am very grateful that I've been able to, to work with him all this time. Last uh, little David praise, and then we can get into the the calamari. As the, the did you like how I named? The... I did love that we have a meal. We have a meal. It is the best. I I put my ass off. I love it. Oh, good. I'm glad. Um, no, David. If you, if anyone, if anyone listening to this f- should for sure go listen to Mark's Madness. But you can even hear it in David's voice when you guys are talking, especially in your, you know, your first series on capital because like you said that's that's when you were at your you know real beginning when it comes to these things um he was a teacher in the sense that we should all be um when it comes to these things he did a great job of you know recognizing all of the questions all of the confusion all of the the lessons even all the the things that were learned and really parsing those out in a way that anyone listening even if you yourself weren't reading the book or participating in the conversation as none of us are because it's a podcast um it, it's like it can click and he he's really great at that like i don't know why or how but listen to mark's madness and you you can learn a lot yeah. but um it, it's a it's a joy kind of every week that i get to i get to do a thing where i'm like I get to learn a thing from a very smart person that, that really has a, a proper grounding in this. Um, it, it is, it's a privilege. Cause I, I, I do, I get to pick his mind and I can pin questions off him at any time. Um, and it means it, it is, it's, it's, I wouldn't be where I am without him. And I'm still, again, nowhere. I am nothing. I am nowhere. I am just an idiot that is reading some books. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I do get to do it with a very smart person and that makes it easier. Well, don't don't you know, don't cut yourself too short, my friend, because I, I have learned a lot from both of you in the, the time that I have listened to you folks. Um, but taking a hard transition into talking about some awful shit. So, yeah, as you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, as it stands right now, the, the world, you know, it's kind of confusing because I, I try not to be too hyper online. Right. Because, oh, one, yeah. it's depressing. But also, like, that is my main source of understanding where we are at in the world because I literally go to work, go to the store to get food, and come home. Like, that's all I do. And so I feel like a lot of us are in these spots of isolation, of alienation. And social media definitely isn't the best way to be learning about the world because it's kind of fucking awful but um you know i've i've spent a lot of you know time talking about the need for 
people to really begin stepping out and helping one another. And so that's kind of the mentality and the, the drive I've had lately. I know you and David feel very much the same. So mm-hmm. I thought like starting from, you know, right now we could kind of talk about one, the uselessness of the, the Biden administration, kind of give a brief take on <laughs> what's going on lately there. Um, and then there also seems to be kind of some more open conversations about unionization. So I wanted your take on that. And then finally, the last thing I really wanted to talk about is kind of just the sense that, you know, we were talking about how social media can be very alienating because of how we participate in social media and how we interact with one another. And so I've seen a lot of folks who maybe, you know, because they came from the certain situations that they come from, they're a little more privileged. After the last year and everything that was happening with the the Black Lives Matter movement, they were, you know, very uh, active talking about like social injustice and racism. And now we're starting to see like that really trend out. And so I wanted to talk about kind of how it's really important that we as leftists really get out and educate people in a meaningful way on kind of their social and political environment, because ultimately, you know, we, we can't do anything if the people don't understand that there is something wrong. You know, if we don't have people at least there, there is nothing to be done. Um, so I'm giving you a lot, but let's let's start with the uselessness of Biden and kind of give a, <laughs> a brief discussion about, you know, just just generally, I, I kind of like to gloss over general ideas, why it is that Biden himself, although some of these folks who are starting to falter off politically might disagree, why his administration is nothing in comparison to the Trump administration. They're one in the same. Yeah. And I think it's actually even almost worse than that, um, because I'm not I'm not an accelerationist by any stretch of the imagination. I disavow accelerationism. I think it does nothing but harm our comrades. And and this idea of accelerationism, I think, comes from a privileged place. That being said, um, all that's happening now is Donald Trump lowered the bar for what people consider acceptable. He he took what we consider to be acceptable politics in America and dropped out a lot of and dropped it a lot of a lot of floors. Um, so we went from the 15th floor down to the first floor. OK, well, Joe Biden takes us up to the fi- fifth floor and now things look great. Now things look rosy as hell. Everything's good. Nothing's fundamentally different. Nothing's actually changed. Nothing's happening. But now you have this wave of these like blue MAGA people sort of coming out and ostensibly defending the same sorts of policies that they would have been vehemently opposed to six months ago if Trump had rolled them out. And so you've taken the the bar of what we can and can't accept in this country and lowered it so far that someone as regressive and reactionary as Joe Biden is peddled as some sort of, you know, progressive savior. And that's just not what's happening. We're not seeing any fundamental changes. We're seeing promises broken immediately. $2,000 checks became $1,400 checks right off the bat. Um, you still have, you know, Oh, no kids in cages this is a rallying cry. Well, you still have exactly the same amounts of kids in cages and and all of that stuff is still happening and, and almost, you know, ramping up to a certain degree, just doing it under this guise of acceptability that makes everything feel a lot more 
a lot more palatable because, well, he's just do- – I mean, I saw – oh, my God. I almost lost my mind. I was seeing people marching, um, and I have to go find the tweet, but it was, there were people marching with signs saying that Biden's just doing his job, acting like that his job <laughs> is to enforce policy that he doesn't agree with and that isn't equitable and that isn't good um, just because he's the – like, that, that – oh. it, it is – it is it is. It's mind-melting. Um it it's it is really kind of and and that's a, a big part of this is reorienting again when Donald Trump was president he could do whatever he wanted he was a madman he was a lunatic he could launch nukes at a moment's notice but Joe Biden man he's just doing his job he's just doing what he has to do he's just chugging along there just doing doing his duty um no it, it's this again it's this misunderstanding of what the rules are and what game you're playing and again this would be if you believe that the democrats actually wanted to accomplish something if they actually wanted to make the changes they talked about this would be in congress your brain would get hurt you'd have to do mental gymnastics to reconcile it um if and when you recognize that they actually don't want to be in power. The Democrats absolutely don't want power. They want to be an opposition party where they're forever able to sit there and say, well, we want to help, but we're just not able to. And you saw this when they moved the the goalposts with uh, the Senate. It was, if we get Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff in the Senate in Georgia, we're going to do whatever, we're going to do everything. We're going to knock it all out of the park and we're going to, and now suddenly you know, a couple months later, as soon as they elected those two, because no one in their right mind thought both those guys were getting elected. Like, that no. was not supposed to happen. No Democratic strategist wanted both of them elected. Um, once they were, it was, oh, well, guys, guys, what you really don't understand is the rules of the Senate and that filibuster. Hmm, we have to have 60 people or we really can't. So it was if we get 50 people, we're giving you everything you want and, and that come out and vote for us. And then as soon as that happened, it's, oh, we actually needed 60. I'm sorry. Wah, wah. Oh, we can't really do anything. We're not responsible for this. Uh, it's it's all Mitch McConnell still, even though he's not in power, he's still the evil puppet master. And, and we move on. And that mentality is going to lead to nothing but a worsening ratchet effect when you talk about how is this bad and what does this mean for, for long-term effects. The, the further we keep going to this right – and everyone – I don't assume everyone understands the ratchet effect. The ratchet effect is, again, the concept that Republicans will constantly make hard moves to the right. They will do everything they can to go right. And then Democrats don't want to go left. They just backstop it. And so every time that hard right move happens, it may inch back an inch or two, but it's never the Democrats are never going to make a hard left move. Not unless they're absolutely forced to. And the only times you've seen that are like, again, the Great Depression, the, the New Deal was a Hail Mary left, save capitalism sort of leftist move. Um, but it was out of desperation, not out of want. And it was, again, strictly to save capitalism. It was not to help the people. It was if we don't do this, capitalism will implode and we can't have that. Uh, so so this is very dangerous because, again, Donald Trump did throw everything very much to the right with very open uh, anti-Semitism, anti-racism, you know, racism, blatant you know, misogyny, all of these things. But the Democrats aren't exactly moving it back. They're doing fun identity politics stuff where they're like, we have the first trans person in, in elected Senate office. Yay! We have an indigenous person running this cabinet. Yay! We have a quote-unquote union leader leading the Labor Department. Yay! But 
what is the actual policy? They're very good at messaging and and putting out this little like rah rah feel good message. But what is it actually? What is actually happening? And that's I think where the big thing is: is people are very susceptible to what messaging is and not what actual policy is happening. Yeah, I I would say that like the Democrats are the money sign and the Republicans are the middle finger because the Republicans want to be able to stand in front of the camera and go, I hate black people and just have that be perfectly acceptable. The Democrats want to say, actually, we support black owned businesses and that black owned business just happens to be a Fortune 500 company that has paid all of their salaries for the last five years. Um, and these are the, the games that they are capable of playing because, like you say, the bar is so incredibly low. And I, I saw a tweet that kind of fits perfectly in this because, uh, you know, I think this is kind of what it was oriented towards. But it said that basically, like, you are not being represented. You are being advertised to like. In commercials, that's true, but that's also very true in our politics right now. Like, that is them, you know, just like Barack Obama was and many others before him were. That's a, a, a token uh, of, of, you know, concession. Look, you look like this person. This person is in a position of power. Wow, everybody wins, except that's only a win for that person in power. Yeah. Um and so, yeah, it's it's really incredible because, you know, especially talking about like the the union, uh, the 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 labor guy for Biden's thing is like some Boston union rep. I can't even remember what his name is. Um, but I was reading an article because my organization that I'm a part of leftist unification party, um, we we had, you know, stuff that we did a while back with uh, the folks who are organizing uh, in Bessemer, we we did a, a boycott of Amazon to try to show solidarity with them and to, you know, try to do what it is that we thought was going to bring attention to the, the efforts that they were, you know, and still are working towards, you know, go vote yeah. union. Yes. And in, in Bessemer. Um, oh, yeah. And um, so, you know, this is a, a big deal. And so I was reading an article and one one of the comments that was like that was mentioned in this article that I was reading was that I can't even remember what the the guy's name is, but they were saying basically like he's the type of guy that's going to go in the office and really, really shake hands with the guy and look him straight in the eyes and and say, listen here, bud, you really got to you really got to give those folks out there what they want. And I was just read I, that's obviously a paraphrasing, but like I was I was re I mean, it basically said that but like I was reading it yeah. and just thinking in my head going, oh, wow. So he just goes in there and has a cigar with the guy like what? Like this this isn't helping anyone. He's just he's just he's he is the face of why unions in America are the way that they are. He is the that that perfect face, just like Joe Biden is the perfect face for our politics right now. Yeah. And that's that's, again, where it, it really breaks down to. Uh, again, in this country, we are so we are so far behind when it comes to class consciousness and unionization efforts and all of these kind of things that when whenever we see anything popping up, um, everybody wants to rush in and 
and especially if you're a leftist, you want to do everything you can to help. And I think there's a, a really big, a really big issue in, and I don't know if it's innate to America. I don't know if it's our own thing. Um, but Mao talks about it a lot of, of failure and accepting criticism is the highest form of, of learning that you can do. Um, but it's hard as hell. I'm shit at it. Um, I, I can't, I can't handle it. I, I don't, I, I break under criticism and I, I just want to appease. Um, and then other people go the opposite way where it's just like dig in the heels and we're going to, we're going to not, we're, we're going to not acknowledge an error or anything like that. And we're going to go. And I think both methods fail at some level because again, the whole thing is when we're, we are growing from the ground up again. You read it in Black Bolshevik. You read it in all these things. When you used to hear about what unions were capable of in this country, they they were able to accomplish great things through solidarity and through uh, a force of numbers. They had the numbers advantage and they had solidarity. And with those two things, you can do a lot of great things. We don't have that right now. Um, and I don't think that's to be critical. That's not to be negative. Um, that's just a fact. We don't have it. Um, we, we don't have the force of numbers and we don't have the solidarity. And so when we are trying to accomplish these things, um, it is so important to be in lockstep and to be functioning as one unit because any division, and we see this all the time. We see this constantly throughout American leftism that any kind of division leads to hyper hyper intense criticism especially online um and especially in in social media um that is places where you see this division and i i really do think that the best thing we can do is to learn from where we like watch watch things fail watch things not succeed the way you want them to and then learn and apply and if we're not doing that then we're just spinning our wheels because again that is where i love theory I don't love theory because I think like I have no highfalutin ideas. I have a philosophy degree. That is one of the <laughs> poorer decisions I ever made in my life. Um, not because I don't appreciate knowing philosophy, but because I paid a whole lot of money for people to teach me things that I could have taught myself. Uh, <laughs> having a philosophy degree only teaches me that again i i need to learn more and i need to be humble about where i'm coming from and so i think again all of this over and over again what we're seeing is is people try to come out and think that they know exactly what to do and then aren't willing to take criticism when it comes to it and it, and that is really a hard thing to do and i think that is the most important lesson that we can take from this is again watching these unionization efforts whether they succeed or whether they fail learn from what they're doing because theory should be a guide theory should teach you things about where other people faltered it shouldn't just be a, a lot of success stories you need to hear failures and that's why i think i love black bolshevik so much because black bolshevik is a story of a man that didn't get what he wanted he failed i mean i mean harry haywood didn't get to see communism come he didn't get to organize his way to a, a revolution he was just a man that tried and was very open about when he failed um, and when he failed, he was very open about why he was able to reflect on it critically and he was able to go forward. Um, and I think that is the biggest thing that that every leftist in this country, we can do a better job of is learning to take a fucking L and and get better because of it. Get, move on, acknowledge where we were, where we came up short and then move forward together as a better group. 
Yes. And I think that that is probably especially, you know, you and me were talking about it earlier when, you know, reading these very confronting works where like we as white folks have to confront ourselves and self-crit and really come with humility on these topics of race and things like that. But even for us who are maybe and we should be having those conversations. But if for whatever reason we're talking about imperialism or capital or whatever, or we're talking about unionization efforts and, oh, wow, why did that, you know, those not work out? Or, you know, what is it that went wrong with this movement here? You know, we have to recognize that these are always lessons to be learned. Um, ultimately, we in America especially are really good at understanding history as a bunch of useless knowledge um, mm -hmm. because from birth we are not actually taught real history. Um, and so because of that, we have this weird like thing in our head where things happen and then we go, damn, that sucked. You guys think we should do exactly what they just did? Um, <laughs> And J. Malfoy Paul is someone who wrote really well about that in The Communist Necessity, talking about some of the different movements in the early 90s and 2000s in America and Canada that, you know, really didn't hit the mark like they said they were going to or like they were trying to. And all that that can be, as he clearly, you know, and eloquently says in the book, is lessons to be learned. Because ultimately, all that we can do is pick up where revolutionaries like Harry Haywood before us left off and just push the fight further. We can't expect that we're going to snap a finger, we're just going to hit that magic number and boom, revolution is going to happen. Like, that's not realistic. No. And so, like, you know, with these folks kind of that we wanted to talk about it, the folks kind of faltering off and everything like that. Like, this is what we have to recognize is that we are actively failing. We are not heightening this political and social awareness. We are not organizing well enough. We are not. Do, well, maybe not we, but, you know, it, it's not no. to the to the height that we would obviously like it to be. And so we have to see that as OK. What can we do that we are not doing now or what can we do better or what are we doing wrong? Because ultimately, uh, we're going to have to consistently ask ourselves that question time and time again. If where we're headed with this, uh, a revolution is what happens. Um, Mao writes about it. Lenin writes about it. All the revolutionaries write about the fact that you constantly have to, you know, reassess and, and reaffirm your line and like. You know, Mao, most of Mao's most famous writings were his speeches that he was giving to his party to mm -hmm. correct their line, to call them and to critique them and say, hey, 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 um, remember when we talked about this a while back? Yeah, we're not doing that anymore. We have to do that again. And yeah. so we have to do that in America, especially if we expect anything to change. And we have to, again, we have to be humble about it. And we have to, again, this is where this is where education comes in. This is where theory comes in. Again, I don't like theory sounds a lot more highfalutin than it is. Yeah. Theory, as I've understood it and as I see it, as I, I go through it, is just the instructions written down by the people that came before you. It is guys who have tried this guys gals non-binary pals everybody else who have tried this before you 
and who have either succeeded or failed, and they're writing down their experiences. And if that isn't useful to you, I think you're a bit arrogant. I think if you don't believe that there is something to be gained from learning the lessons of those that came before and tried, again, are our material conditions the same as 1917 Russia? Hell no, not even a little bit. I, I am not a LARPer. I'm not sitting out here cosplaying in, in Soviet you know attire saying that we just need the glorious revolution of 1917. And if we just had a Vladimir Lenin, things would be better right now. That's that, that's that's not how it works. But you can learn from the tactics. You can learn from the mistakes. You can learn from the greater overarching ideas that came out of these movements. Um, and again, I don't take Marx to be some sort of I, I love David's explanation of it as as always. But it, we, we don't read Marx because he's a deity or that because we think he's some sort of unfallible God. We read Marx when he's right. When when the things he says have been borne out over time and over over experience and and they have proven themselves to be correct, we read them. And it just so happens that Marx has a lot of those. Now, does he have things that he's wrong about? Oh, hell yes. Absolutely. I am I am adamant uh, and and unfaltering in my belief that I think Marx was 100 percent wrong that the proletariat has more revolutionary potential than the lumpen. Um, because I think he misunderstood what that would look like in the 21st century. Do I discount all of Marx because of that? No, he was writing in the 1900s. I don't I don't give a shit if he wasn't able to fully predict what the 21st century would look like. But I need to be able to incorporate people who did and need to be able to incorporate ideas that did. Um, and this is something that this is a level beyond. I mean, we're talking about, again, trying to incorporate all of this stuff. Imagine just being a regular person in America. Imagine being a person, the person you were four or five years ago, 10 years ago, however long you have to go back. Um, what were you taught? What kind of nonsense history were you, you names, dates, times, and places of a bunch of people who weren't even in your country, your own, we are not taught our own history at all. No. Howard, Zinn, Howard Zinn does a very good job of proving that. And I, I would say, honestly, uh, Dr. Du Bois is doing an amazing job of doing that through black reconstruction. The, the version of the civil war and reconstruction that we're getting through that book is so radically departing from anything, but again, well-sourced, well-cited, obvious to the point um it's very obvious in its correctness um but it's so radically off of what we've been taught and what we're told to think in these little snippets of our history books about what these times were like that it, how do you not question all of it so you need to throw all of it out and start over that's a daunting ass task of throwing out everything you know about your own history and starting over, but you you really need to, and then analyze, why do I think what I think? Why do I think that? Why do I think this? I don't want you to go down some existential hole where you can't get yourself out of and you're doing, you know, Rene Descartes-style doubting that you even <laughs> exist or you're a head in a jar sort of a thing. But you have to come to this with some humility because at the end of the day, we're, we're sitting here having a conversation about Marx and whether he predicted the 21st century, and neither of us would have known about Marx until on the on the grand scope of things, the last sliver of our life, you know, you put it on a, a football field. We're on the nine. You're on, you know, we're on the 10 yard line. We're learning about Marx now. Oh, shit. Now we got to reanalyze everything we already knew before that, because we've been taught some caricature of what Marx is and what this ideology is. And then you actually figure out what it is and you have to relearn everything. It is it is insane to think you're going to get there overnight. And it is insane to think that the people you're interacting with who haven't heard this are not going to think you look like an alien. 
because the things you're trying to explain to them sound alien and sound out there. And that's where, again, education has to be it has to be thorough. It has to be well thought out. But it has to be approachable before all things. Um, you need an education in this country or if you're trying to educate comrades or trying to educate potential comrades, your education needs to be approachable. It needs to be something they can digest. It needs to be something that they can synthesize and get there because maybe you didn't get there. Maybe you got there through some extra, extra out there means. And you, you don't think that, you know, Oh, well you just picked up capital one day and thought, and then bam, you're a Marxist and you, you've got this down. A lot of people aren't going to be like that. A lot of them aren't. Uh, and and the more you're able to bring into the fold through just easily accessible educational tools, tools that that meet them where they're at, um, and and can speak to them at a level that they understand, I, I think that is the biggest thing we need to be better at. Because um, I I just don't think there's enough of it going around right now. I think a genuine way to combat this, and I I try to make it evident whenever I have guest spots, like I always tell folks like. We can do like a, you know, an outline or whatever, but like, I just want to have a conversation. I want to just meet you and talk with you because ultimately the best way that I have found in my own personal experience that you can educate people is through a conversation. Because if someone wanted to read a book, guess what? They don't need someone to tell them to go read a book. If someone wanted to believe something about the world, you know, say that uh, the world is ruled by the ultra rich, wealthy elites. uh, If they wanted to just go out and learn that, well, guess what? It's not very hard to learn. Um, But the the problem is that there's uh, an entire, you know, world of governments, misinformation, miseducation, oppression, exploitation, and just awful propaganda that makes that almost an impossible task. If someone's solution to that is going out and reading a book, sure, if that works for them and they get there, that's awesome. Um, Like you said, most people aren't going to be like that. So we have to do a better job as, you know, quote unquote leftists generally at having those conversations it's such a meme that like leftist culture is toxic online (laughs) why 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 (sighs) here's the thing is like we are the ones participating in that discourse and therefore obviously we can't eliminate every troll but we are the ones who are directly in charge of deciding whether or not that remains toxic. And the more of us who recognize that we can go into these spaces and try to have those conversations, the better chances there are that these things begin to change. And I'm not expecting that, I mean, listen, if anyone's been online on any leftist sphere, you know that's a hard ask. But, but not for nothing, I have met some amazing comrades um, through these online spheres. And that oh, is yeah. one of the main ways that I have became radicalized. So those are tools and those are very useful avenues. But we have to be better at, at, at using those tools and be better at, like we're talking about, using those tools to educate in a way that is humane. Because uh, the last thing I want to say real quick is that 
these things aren't alien in the sense that people cannot understand them if you articulate them properly, because we all live these things. You know, when you tell a worker, hey, your boss is exploiting you, taking, you know, your surplus labor and making themselves rich while you can't afford your bills. Gee, just about everyone who's worked a minimum wage job is going to go, shit, you're right. So then we have to give that information to people in a way that makes them go, shit, you're right. Not, hey, why are you being an asshole? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's an upsetting conversation to have. And those of us who know the thing are like, hey, why don't you know this thing? But like, again, like you were saying, go back five years ago. What was the conversation that you would have needed to have to get to the point that you are trying to get this person to? Have that and, conversation with them. And would it have been one conversation? Because the short answer is almost always no. No. <laughs> no, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been one conversation. It would have been a lot of conversations. And how do you have a lot of conversations with a person? It's not by alienating them and pushing them away by thinking that you know more than them. Those pe- You don't want to hang out with that person. You want to have a beer with a guy uh, and, and slowly but surely – get into the get introduce things because again it is never going to be no one is getting radicalized off one conversation or one meme or one anything there can be one thing that pushes them over the edge but it's a slow process for a lot of people and you have to recognize that and treat it as such um and again the tox i I think there's also ways to inoculate yourself to the toxicity online um you, you just have to again recognize I treat everything like it's good faith and that gets me in trouble <laughs> because uh, I I will put myself in positions where I, I will be let down and that's fine. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm accepting of that as a possibility, but a lot of leftist infighting in my mind to me is look, we think we're arguing over life and death scenarios because in our minds we are. Everything we're fighting for is the very survival of the human race and the survival of our our people and the raising up of our comrades um, and and taking people to a level that they haven't been for before. If I think your ideology gets in the way of me doing that, I am going to treat you hostile. And I understand that impulse because that's where you see a lot of leftist infighting is not – it comes from a place of us not recognizing that we're not talking the same language and we're not trying to achieve the same goals. Um, we've gotten caught up and people have said this before. This is not a unique statement, but again, we agree on 99% of what needs to be done. We disagree on the 1% and we will fight to the death on that 1% over and over and over and over over again. And that's not unique to us in social media. You read all the old work, again, the letter to the Gotha program. You you read these letters back and forth between revolutionaries back uh, during the revolution um, in Russia or in other places. This has always happened. This is not unique. It's not new. We're not doing something unheard of. There has always been leftist infighting. It will always happen. It will continue to happen because, again, we are fighting for what we see to be as our lives and the livelihoods of those we care about. And when you're in that position, you get pretty goddamn defensive. <laughs> you really double down on your position and you really will fight an opposition party to the death. You will. And, and you're seeing it all the time right now. Um, 
I think taking those oppositions in good faith and attempting to educate and attempting to put your position out there for why you believe what you believe um, is the best thing you can do. Because I have always been convinced that when you are, and I don't know who taught me this, it may have been David for lack of a, it, honestly, it probably is David. Almost everything smart I know, I know because of that guy. <laughs> um, but when you argue online, when you debate online, when you dis, when you have discourse online, you're not having it with the person you're having it with. You're having it with all the third parties that are looking on. Don't focus on the person in front of you because that person probably is as set in their ways as anyone else and they're not moving if they're willing to engage with you in this kind of discourse they're probably pretty locked into what they think and that's fine they have valid reasons to do so you have to assume that or again if you assume everyone's arguing in bad faith you're going to go nowhere and again i i do fundamentally believe that that marxism leninism that that socialism that communism is a ideology of optimism it is an ideology of radical optimism, that, that, that belief in your fellow man, belief that we can come together and do things. And if you're going to engage in that belief, you have to treat the people across from you like they're trying to do the same thing, especially if they say it on their face. If they say, I'm a leftist, I'm, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come at you and I'm gonna, we're going to talk, but I'm going to assume that you want the best out of humanity and we're just disagreeing on the ways we get there. And if you go at it like that, I think that is the best way I've found to inoculate myself against the the toxicness of online discourse. But I also I, I try and stay out of the again, I, I could stick my nose out in Twitter right now and probably start a shitstorm if I really wanted to. I don't think that helps what I'm trying to do. I don't think that moves my cause forward. I don't think that makes me a better leftist. I, I think there's just fundamental disagreements about how we get engagement and where we drive our engagement from and how we, we really motivate people and, and get people on our side. And for me, that's kind of shutting up and letting the works talk for themselves and letting the, the theory speak for itself, letting history speak for itself and just trying to elucidate that as best I can and trying to make that as accessible as I can. Yeah. And that's, that's great advice. I mean, something that I've been trying to really force myself to do um, is like whenever I am in that, that position where I am, you know, maybe commenting back and forth with someone on, on social media I, I try to always ask questions because ultimately someone will show their true colors regardless because that's what social media is for. Social media is for people to find their niche and to grow their, their, you know, their groups, grow their, their affiliation, grow their, their liking of the things that they went on social media to see, to watch and to talk to, um, we get very lucky that a lot of those spheres mix with other people and that a lot of people are on social media so that we get to have conversations with people uh, who we might disagree with, who we might have different opinions with. And ultimately, like it should be in any conversation you have with anyone about these topics, our goal is to educate. And, and ultimately, it's as, as a, you know, an overarching statement i i like to think of you know socialism communism as as yes um theories of optimism that's that's a great way to put it and also the it's the the movement of helping people of solidarity like our our goal is building up the masses is building up the people helping the people and so ultimately is a discussion on facebook where you are essentially 
if you were in front of one another, you would be screaming. Um, if that is the interaction you're having on Facebook or wherever, is that helping anyone? Because even that interaction itself, you both will leave that interaction angry or upset or whatever, when instead you could have left that interaction as comrades. And so I think that that is more of the the intentionality that we have to have when we have these conversations, whether in person or online. And like you said, try to go into these things expecting that people are in good faith, because even if you're wrong, worse things, you know, worse is that an onlooker sees the difference between how you are participating in that conversation and the other person sees the information that is, you know, splayed out there in the comments and is able to learn from that interaction Rather than just, you know, we I'm sure we've all seen the gif of Michael Jackson eating the popcorn when people are fighting on, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's not what we, there's no point in that. Like, there's already no. enough social media for that. And if that's what you want, again, there are people that it's very obvious that, and, and you should be able to recognize it. If that's what you want, well, why do you want that? Are you, are you trying to drive engagement for some thing or another are you just trying to do you make your living off off your twitter or do you just like the trolling i think if you approach every of those interactions with a look i i have nothing to gain here i have nothing to, to benefit there's no way this benefits me other than i want to help make the world a better place i want i i think i have found an ideology that explains things a little bit better than i've been explained before I would like to share that with other people. If you if you approach things from that point of view and just put your viewpoints out there, it, it's very hard for people to come at you in any meaningful way because again, all you're trying to, all we're trying to do is educate people to the point that they can they can raise themselves up out of this condition they're in. We all can recognize what is causing it, what the roots of this are, and and what needs to be done to get us out of it. But it's still a matter of you have to educate people and educate them in a, a positive way that they are willing to engage with and not talk down to them. And I think that's that's the biggest thing. I think that's that's the biggest thing I would appreciate if every other leftist did, quote unquote, leftist. You know, if, if we were able to talk to each other in a more positive, uplifting way that that really articulated what this ideology was as opposed to focusing on dunks and 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 just the back and forth of the the, the petty Twitter drama, I think we'd be in a better place. But that's again probably me being a little too radically optimistic. <laughs> I mean, if we're reading Lenin, then we can't expect that anybody isn't gonna want to dunk on people because that is exactly. just Lenin's specialty. But no, for real, like it's the junk it's master. A, yeah. It's upsetting, though, because, like, how do you read something like Lenin and then go, you know what would probably be, like, really helpful if I argued with that person on Facebook? And so, like, I think those of us who get that that fill, that that ego that comes with the, you know, the the understanding, because that's really what it is. It's it's exactly. like it's like a new pair of glasses. You finally get something right that was mystical before you know in some way or another we have to be able to give those glasses to other people and get them to understand like oh oh shit yeah i i see it too um and the the best way that we can do that is like we're saying like 
having these conversations, really building solidarity with people. But on top of that, and you and David talk about this a lot, um, I'm in the beginning of Black Reconstruction. I believe we're like 15 or 16 episodes in. Uh, okay. I, I don't know for sure. Um, but you guys have been talking about like, um, this is this is on the heels of um, like last summer, I want to say, like or or going into the summer because you guys are actively talking about the George Floyd and Black Lives Matter yeah. protests, talking about, you know, going out and organizing. But one of the things that you guys talk about is like we have to have this information. We have to have it ground us. But then we have to go out and do right. And like obviously we have been experiencing a a special circumstance for a year plus now that <laughs> that makes that yeah kind of like the the peculiar institution uh-huh. um, a, a special circumstance um it that's made that very difficult but there are still ways that we can help people and ultimately the best thing that we can do if our intention is one obviously to help people that is our goal but also to educate to bring up the masses to embolden them to encourage people this is precisely what we do is like the uh the 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 black panther party they they went out into their communities and they said okay listen um, in this instance, we need a, a community uh, patrol. We need we need protection. In in this instance, we need uh, breakfast programs that feed the local school children. Uh, in this instance, we need you know transportation so family members can go visit their family members who have been imprisoned. There's so many needs that our communities have, and if if we're not seeing those meet needs and trying to go out and meet those needs for the people ultimately we're not going to be able to be successful in anything because we have to create real institutions that show the inadequacy of the status quo that that show the uselessness of the state that show how capitalism is oppressive otherwise we're just some guy screaming at you like hey, your boss is actually an asshole and like, it, you know, all this stuff. And to them, that could mean nothing. But if they have concrete examples that are like, well, wait a minute, this is the same person who has, you know, been helping me get to see my family member and, and feeding my kids while I'm off to school and getting them, you know, uh, getting my my workplace PPE when our, our, our bosses didn't want to spend the extra dime and like, that is how not only are we already directly helping people who need help, um, because there are people who are in desperate need of help still today and will always be, um, but we're also giving them that education in material reality. You don't have to read, you know, what is Leninism? If there is a vanguard party who is, you know, doing everything that is in that book, you don't really have to go read that because that's a reality to you. So, like, if you want to talk about capitalism as an oppressive system, well, show me, you know. And so we have to really I I personally I will admit and I've said this before on my show, I have found it incredibly difficult where I'm at to try to 
get out and organize, not only just because of my, you know, personal circumstances with my job and life and everything, but just like the area and, you know, just general difficulties that come with trying to to organize and do action. But if we if we have two options, they are do something or do nothing. And if we see the world the way that we see it, if we recognize these things as being so insanely wrong, how can we do nothing? Yeah. And that's, I think, the biggest part of this is, one, I think there's a lot to be said for reorienting what your nothing is. Um, Do not sell yourself short. Education is a part of this. And I don't think any one person is ever going to be the best at all of this. I think the the reason that we only have one Lenin, one Mao, one Fidel, you know, th- these people are a handful of people within history that were able to both lead revolutions and, and on the ground organize and also write amazing theory. Um, th- th- there's a reason there are fewer of them than not. Um, I think people need to do a better job of not beating themselves up for, for recognizing what their conditions are and what they are able to do. Um, your show, you are able to educate, you are able to get, get knowledge out there to someone that may be organizing, to someone that may be doing the work on the ground. And maybe this is something where, again, they're busy on the ground doing the work. You can provide them with education. You can provide them with access to theory. You can provide them with view insights that they haven't thought about. Um, it is, it is important that all of this is tied together. Um, having theory and doing nothing with it is a waste. Having theory and educating others is not a waste. If you just held that theory to yourself and knew all the theory in the world but did nothing with it, yes, you've you've wasted that talent. You've done you you're, you could be doing more with that, and you should be. And can we always be doing more? Absolutely. We always need to be pushing ourselves to do more, um, but not at the expense of of discounting the work that you already do. When you do work that is is educating others and possibly putting the tools out there for other people that may not have had it before, that is valid, and you need to kind of take a second to go, okay, good. I've done a thing. Now, what more can I do? What's the next step I can do? And for a lot of us, that's organizing. Um, but you're right. That's hard. <laughs> Anyone yeah. that tells you organizing is fucking, is like, so, Oh, just get out there and organize. Uh, Oh, okay. I'm shit at organizing. I can't organize <laughs> to save my fucking life. I, I will show up. If you give me a place at a time and tell me what I'm supposed to be doing, I will show the fuck up. I am ready to go, baby. Um, but when it comes to the actual organizing, that's not a skill set that I'm very I'm very adept at. Um, now, I've beat myself up over that for a very long time. But then there's also, again, there are things that I'm good at that organizers aren't good at. We all have a role to play, and we just need to be doing the best we can to push this forward. Um, again, organization, on-the-ground action is absolutely something that everyone can do. Um, because if you Google out in your community, is there something going on? I can almost promise you close enough to you. There's something going on that you can go participate in. Are you going to be the leader? No, no, you, you're not. But do you need to be a leader? No, you need to just show up and pitch in and do what you can do. And in a lot of these places, again, it's, it's, we've, we've done David, I know has gone out and done hand washing stations locally out here. Um, just getting stuff set up and going, you know, showing up to, to protests and things like that to aid boosting phones, apps and doing phones, apps when they're available. Um, there, there are, again, we live in capitalism. We have to survive, and then we have to pump as much energy as we can into helping others. And that's the that's the best thing we can be doing. 
Um, and as long as you're comfortable with, with what level you're producing at, I think that's important, but you always need to be pushing yourself to do more. Um, because once you get comfortable until we've had the revolution, until we've, we've, until our, our brothers and sisters in the global South are, are raised up, um, you, you can't feel comfortable. You can't feel okay and stop because we're, we're not there yet. And we've got a lot of ground to cover. And especially in the Imperial core, we have a lot to make up for. We have a lot to atone for. Uh, and the best we can do that is, you know, the best penance we can do for that is on the ground, helping our, helping our clothes, the cl people closest to us. And then especially boosting those voices in the global South. And that's again, where I get to, I don't understand online why we get into these fights about, actually existing socialism or, or whatever you want to call it, these countries in the global South that are fighting for their own liberation and their own struggle. I, I don't see how lifting them up is critiquing them or giving them armchair quarterbacking advice that is, is not useful. Um, I, I really don't. I, I've yet to find a way that that is, that that elevates my position or, or makes me a better, a, a better comrade or a better ally. I, I don't know. Um, but that's, that's the, re that is the big reason that I won't, I don't offer my critiques of those countries, especially not on, you know, if I have a critique of, of China or something like that, will I have that in private with comrades in a discord or somewhere where it's, it's, you know, off stage? Yeah, we can have those conversations there. Am I going to have that publicly on my timeline on Twitter where I'm putting that forward as my opinion that I think China's wrong or doing something incorrect or doing genocide or something like that? No, I'm not. Um, I don't think that's my place. I don't think that's my place as someone that lives in the Imperial Corps. I don't think that's my place as a white leftist in America. It, it's just not something that I should be providing. Yeah, and that's like, uh, you know, there's a, a another big ask is, again, <laughs> expecting this this space that we're already talking about uh, to humble itself. Um, but that that is what we need to do. And, you know, unfortunately, when it comes to these conversations, there, there's really two sides you can have. You're you're either for or against. And so, like, do you want to have to confront the fact that, well, you know, Venezuela or or China or whoever is actively trying to combat U.S. imperialism, U.S. propaganda, imperialist domination, capitalist hegemony? Do you really want to say that you spent that time on Facebook talking about well, you know, actually, we should really focus on this one thing that I'm pretty sure that this country that I am thousands of miles away from and have read absolutely only U.S. propaganda about is doing wrong. I think we should yeah. focus on this conversation. Um, I think that we have a tendency to fall into that the same way we have a tendency after we read a few books of theory to go, I am God. Um but we need to, as best as we can, tamper, you know, tamper that down, because ultimately you're participating in the opposition of a country that is 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 trying to build socialism. Whether you agree with the way they're doing it or not is, like you said, a conversation you can have with your comrades and conversations that, you know, ought to be had because we have to learn lessons from these things. But is it again talking about. Is what we're doing going to alienate people or is it going to bring people together? And, uh, you know, it's it's difficult because, like, these conversations are not always us at our best. Right. Like it, no. social media makes that difficult. But like as we were talking about earlier, like how these things don't need to 
you don't need to sit everybody down in a classroom and go, okay, guys, this is what communism is. You need to have conversations. You need to go out and help people. And in, in that same manner, like, we really have to humble ourselves in those conversations we're having because, like we already discussed, you know, we're pretty far away from really knowing on the ground what's happening in a lot of these places. Um, but as a, you know, a little to sum that conversation up and a little word of, you know, encouragement, like our goal as communists, as we've been discussing, has to be education. It has to be raising the consciousness of the people, heightening their struggle, but also helping people and building institutions of opposition to these already oppressive institutions. And so if we can be encouraged by anything, it's that what we are fighting for is the end of this this oppression, this exploitation of, of human beings. What we are fighting for together, or what we should be fighting for together, is, like we said, raising the people up, but not in just some obscure, abstract way, but materially. People need to eat. People need to be able to have shelter and have clothes and ha have, you know, pro proper medical care. Like, so we need to recognize that that is what we're working towards. And so the best thing that we can do is, is start working towards it. Whatever that looks like in our own particular circumstance, in our own particular moment, whether that's a conversation on Facebook or going out and building a hand washing station or participating in a protest, that's not the important part. The important part is what are we doing with our opportunities that we have? And so we should be taking our opportunities and really choosing to use those to uplift our comrades, to educate folks, and to really build solidarity. Because ultimately, that is the heart and soul of this movement, humanity and solidarity. Hey, fucking man. So I know we're at an hour 17, but... So we already kind of talked about what I brought up in the chocolate chip cookie time, but I, I really wanted to kind of get like just a, a, a brief summation, like you like you said earlier about like j just kind of to put it in, in clear ways, like why is it that anyone is going to sit here and tell me you need to go read theory or theory is important? Like what 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 is it your show Mark's Madness you guys do a fantastic job of bringing theory in a digestible way that seems like a conversation that is easy to understand and and really in a lot of ways um I have probably been like injected with more education by just simply listening to you folks talk than I have in a lot of ways reading theory myself and you you and David say it, or I should say David says it yep. as a disclaimer <laughs> that like, even if your show is just cliff notes, that is what we need to be doing. So why is it that you folks decided to sit down and record Mark's Madness? I think what, the real, what? the reason we started was, and again, I talked about this up at the top, uh, was just because I needed to learn it. And David had already read the book. 
so we were starting with uh, uh, works that David had read and I hadn't read. Um, and we thought, well, if we record this, because, again, the whole thing about theory is that theory is and you say it where and, and it's incredibly humbling and I, I appreciate the hell out of it when you say that you learn more from listening to us than you do reading theory. I don't think that's an accident. And I don't think that's anything unique that we're doing. I think that theory is unique in the sense that it is best learned in a group. It is best learned by talking about. It is best learned by engaging with and having a dialogue with. Um, and that's very hard to do by yourself. Um, I think Lennon, again, feels great to read by yourself because he's so dynamic and he's so he's you know, he's dunking on other people. He's kind of giving you this back and forth by himself. And he, he's a really dynamic writer. But everyone else I've read, I don't know if I'd have gotten through it or especially taken as much away from it if I hadn't been reading it with someone else. And that was our whole theory was let's record this so that we can go back and listen to it. Um, but record it in, in a podcast format in case we're comfortable and we want to release this. And we decided that it was worthwhile, that it that there would be a benefit to people, that, that there are some people that don't have the opportunity to sit here and read these books, and we did, so we might as well share that with anyone else. And so our whole, our whole hope was, again, like David says in the disclaimer, hopefully you're already in a reading group. Hopefully you're, you're in a party and your party's doing political education, and this book is a book that you have to read for political education. And you read it in your group and you talk about it, and we can give you another view. We can give you a whole different viewpoint on it that maybe you didn't talk about in your group. Maybe it's the same viewpoint. Maybe we all got to the same place. Awesome. That should reaffirm that you got to the right place and that we're all looking at it at the same place. Um, maybe you don't have a reading group. Maybe you're maybe you're in a party, but you're not reading the book that we're reading. Um, I don't know a lot of parties reading Black Reconstruction in America, <laughs> probably. It's 700 goddamn pages. Um, but maybe you haven't read that. Okay. Well, we can be your we can be your reading group. We'll be the group with you. We'll we'll you know it's a small group and you don't get to respond as much. But hey, a little something's better than nothing. Um, we'll give you some back and forth and we'll give you some of that dialogue. And again, the goal is David has either read or is far more well versed in this. And then I am there to be the audience. I am there to be someone I've never read any of these before. I have no experience other than what I've gained through the show. Um. And I'm there to, to respond as, as someone that may not have known it is to respond. And and that's kind of my job is is to be that audience surrogate and to, to help kind of make this accessible. I, I need to admit that I don't know what I'm talking about and ask for explanations and slow down and 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 not and, and be humble. Again, be humble and ask because there is someone out there, even if I understand it, there's someone that doesn't. And the more we explain that and the more we talk through that, the better educated everyone's going to be. And I think that's what we have turned into lately is we used to summarize works. Uh, we definitely summarized capital. Um, but lately we've turned into audiobook with commentary because I think that's more useful. I think it is more useful to have the full theory as it was presented. And then here's what these people think about it. If you disagree with us, awesome. Um, we, we are very accepting of anyone who wants to, to send us messages or, or send us critique or anything like that. We, we take that in, we do corrections, um, when, when they come up, but, uh, I think the biggest thing is that these works are best experienced with a group. And if we can be your group, that is awesome because that is incredibly humbling. The idea that we can be that for somebody, because I am so grateful to have access to what I have to have uh, another person that I can read these with. And if I didn't, I, I wished I, at the time when I was starting to want to read capital, I wished there was something like this because there wasn't when we started the show there was I, I couldn't find anybody else that had read capital that was willing to do it i had david harvey's lectures on it but that was it um 
And so I wanted to, we wanted to make a show that would fill that gap. And that's what we were really happy to do. Yeah. And I mean, that's precisely what theory is that that's, that's what Lennon, like you said, that's what Lennon and Mao and Fidel and everyone was writing that stuff down for is like, Hey, this shit happened. Here's, here's what we learned and took from it and everything. And it's these folks trying to have a conversation with us, the reader, although because we are reading theory, it's a little bit more difficult than that sometimes. So it's great to have, you know, sources like you folks. And, you know, you talked about Brett and Allison. Red Menace does a great job oh, yeah. um, covering topics as, uh, uh, and, and theory, too. Um, although I will say, as someone who has listened to both, if your goal when reading theory is like page by page, let me really divulge and like digest everything that this book has for me obviously you folks spend you know much more time on these than than red menace does they do an episode or two or three um on on certain texts and summarize them the way that you folks did uh and then add their own takes and then application um that is incredibly useful also for parties that 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 tactic you know here's here's the summation here's kind of what we think and here's here's a good jumping off point that that's a that could be used and i i've done this with you know myself i usually listen to red menace before i read a book because oh yeah because if i go into reading like for example the one that really like this worked perfectly for me was um I want to say it was state and rev because like their discussion and, and anyone else's discussion allows you to kind of get that, like that little extra eye as you're reading to really catch the things that otherwise you might've glossed right over because yeah. a lot of this is, is, is very, uh, it, it's a lot. Reading theory is a lot. So it's, it's great to have someone there who is able to go, okay, I know that was a lot. Let's talk about it. Because if you don't have that, it's really helpful. It can be, again, that's that's the thing they talk about is this is not anything that any worker or any any lumpen or anyone anyone out there in the world can 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 get theory. But it's just so much nicer to have people to do it with. You, there's there's camaraderie to it. Hopefully, there's there's this goal that everyone's trying to get the same thing at the same time. Um, and there's just something to it. Again, there's something to having a guide and a teacher. Um, and that's again, I consider. I've always looked at it where, and, and again, I, I may be off base, but me and David are are hopefully the group. We're going along with you. We're not trying to teach anything. We're just trying to read it. And you, because again, we don't read ahead. Like that's where Brett, Brett and Allison, in my mind, are high level teachers. They are incredible at at taking in an incredibly dense work of theory and then condensing it into an hour. That level of skill and work is insane to me. I saw it when we when we worked together on the on contradiction episode. Um, or on practice, it is so obvious and so so well how how much work they put in to do that. Me and David are just reading the damn book. <laughs> I don't wanna, <laughs> I don't want to undersell it, but it's not like we we don't have to prep before an episode. This is where I love our. This is why my show is so easy to do. I just have to show up and read a book. I don't have to have prepped ahead of time. We just read the damn thing and then we react to it as we see it and we react to it in real time. And that's going to lead to a couple things. We're going to get stuff wrong. 
because we're not going to have researched it. We're not going to have had it ready ahead of time. We're going to miss things and we're going to have to research it as we go and learn it. But hopefully it is a guide to how a normal person would read the book, absorb it. When, when do you need to stop and look stuff up? What things should jump out at you? That kind of thing, because that's how we're doing it. Um, and that's why I'm so, again, every time I've had a couple shows that jump out and they're like, oh, you know, I'm wanting to get started. I'm wanting to do this. I, I may want to do some of the works that you guys have done. Um, do you, you know, is that weird? Is that wrong? Um, I don't, a million people can read these books and somebody's always going to bring something new to their analysis. And if they don't, and we all get the same analysis, awesome. Everyone's on the same page. We're all moving forward at the same time. There is no, there, there, there should be no competition here amongst leftist podcasts. In my opinion, that is where it's like the more the fucking merrier because the more of us out there talking about this stuff and making this accessible and reaching out to different audiences that that other you know other podcasts may not have access to that is just going to make the movement stronger and it's just going to make us better at this that is all we can do it's like uh it's really you know getting a full sphere of a full picture of these these works is more conversations the more people who are you know looking at these things like you said the more that's going to come out of them so it, it these sorts of podcasts have been a huge source of education for myself. Um, and so it's it's really incredible to be talking with you um, because you say, you know, you folks aren't teachers. Yes, you are. You're you're educating. And so even though you might not feel as if, OK, I'm I'm the guy in front with the tie and the, the pointy stick and the chalk. OK who likes listening to that guy? I, I mean, not for nothing. I would rather come have a conversation with you than hop into that guy's office and ask him a question. You know what I mean? So like we were talking about, we want this to be personable. And so you guys are doing a great job and I, I'm so thankful to have been able to have you on. Um, thank you so much. Is there anything else before we, we go that you, you really felt we didn't sum up that you want to kind of hit on anything you'd like to say before we, we part ways? No, I mean, I think this was a great discussion. Thank you so much for having me on. I really, I really appreciate it. Anytime we can, we, we need to do this again. This was, this was a lot of fun. This was a good time. I, uh, I, I do have one last point. Thank you very much, my friend that, that, okay, that, I would like to take a second to really breathe that in because I think I might have an existential crisis because that means a <laughs> fuck a lot. Um, but I wanted to say, and I forgot, and it's funny because I have ADHD, right? And I was going to say that your show is perfect for my ADHD because I can read something and that one thing is going to get me and I'm just going to have to go look that up or I'm going to have to have a discussion in my head about that. You folks are fully aware that at any point in time, someone might be asking a question. Someone might, someone's brain might be going, wait a minute, I don't understand that. Or someone like me who cannot keep their mind straight as I'm reading will read something and just go off into left field. And you folks have those conversations. You folks bring that information to the table in a way that otherwise I would have to have figured that out on myself or by myself. And I would like to humble myself for a second by saying I probably wouldn't have be, been where I am having this conversation with you if it was not for you and David. Um, in the last probably six months that I've been 
you know, listening to you folks, I've really, so I started with Capital. Um, I uh, tried to read Capital. Uh, I wanted to uh, die. So instead, <laughs> I listened to your folks' show. And then I went back, tried to read Capital again. I'm not going to do it, guys. I'm just not going to read it. I'm just saying that. That's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but I learned so much from that. And immediately, you guys took it to another level because obviously – Capital came out a while ago. So I've had all these shows ready to go and I've been able to take that leap like we were talking about in the beginning of the show. And that's just been incredible. And it, it's been teaching me in the way that I learn. So again, I would like to present once more a very, uh, you know, sincere praise that you guys are doing great work. Thank you very much. That mean that 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 does mean a lot, and it never never stops being humbling. I I I mean it, my friend. So thank you very much for coming on the show. I can't wait to have you on again. Um, and uh, folks, if you if you haven't yet, go ahead and check out Mark's Madness. Um, and uh, if you could for me, go ahead and find your favorite recipe. Um, go on over to the iTunes. Uh, uh, uh the the apple podcast app go ahead and hit five stars right next to mark's madness and then go ahead and leave your favorite uh recipe <laughs> in the comments because uh if you listen to mark's madness you know that uh nathan uh very much enjoys the fact that someone uh left what what was it it was a recipe buffalo chicken dip buffalo <laughs> yeah chicken dip. a buffalo chicken dip recipe forever immortalized in my comments <laughs> and so Listen, if you guys got a good recipe, you know, we're at home a lot. It's a pandemic. Go ahead and give Nathan and David some good recipes to try out. I promise <laughs> we will make any recipe that you put in chat. Sweet. That's a good uh, all right. Uh, thanks again, Nathan. It means a lot. And I'm, I'm very excited to, to hear from you again. Um, I'm going to stop recording. Uh,